Hey, everybody. It's Kai Rizdahl. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Corner Office Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Ed Stack. He's the CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods, the country's biggest sports retailer. You can get anything from outdoor wear to actual sports gear, fishing, baseball, you name it. The company is, in fact, a family business. Ed Stack took it over from his father, Dick, in 1984, when it was just two stores located in upstate New York. Since then, it's grown to more than 700 stores across the country. And more recently, though, Dix has been front and center in the national conversation about gun sales. The company started cutting back on its gun business after the Parkland shootings and has gone on to eliminate firearm sales completely at several dozen stores that they have. All of that, from taking over the family business to the public stance on gun sales, is the subject of Stack's new book. It's called It's How We Play the Game, Build a Business, Take a Stand, Make a Difference. It is a great read, by the way. I'll tell you, it's also the occasion for this interview. So here you go. Ed Stack from Dick's Sporting Goods. We're expecting you. Won't you have a seat? Ready to go to work? Ed Stack, welcome to the program. Thanks. Nice to be here. Uh, you have worked for this company now uh, that you now run uh, for a very, very long time, yeah? That's that's a nice way to put it. It has been a really, it has been a really long time. <laughs> I mean, you were like like six when your dad started you on weekends or something, right? And then you and then you started actually doing work, like when you were you were like fifteen or something. Well, actually, my my mother would drop me off there when uh, I'm the oldest of five kids, and when she had things to do with the other kids, she dropped me off there, and my father would uh, stick me in the basement when I was about five or six years old, and I'd have to do little tasks. So, but I can't really say that I was working there at the time. It uh, the store was just babysitting me, really. But hmm. I, I actually did start working there when I was 13. He uh, put me to work there when I was 13 because he would say he was going to teach me responsibility. So that's when my that's when my business in retail started. And you, you actually started working there full-time uh, right after college, right? I did. And, and so when I was there as a kid uh, from 13 to when I got out of college, I kind of say tongue-in-cheek, I hated every minute of it, and uh, hmm. I, I basically did. And I d- didn't want anything to do with the business. I had no interest in coming back to the, the family business. And as I got ready to get out of college, my dad got really quite sick. He had a double bypass operation back in the mid-'70s when that was really pretty serious surgery. And he never came, never quite made it back emotionally or physically hmm. from that. And so I had to come back in to help in the, the family business for a while. It was two, was it two stores then when you took over? Yeah, it was two small stores in uh, in Binghamton, New York. To put it in perspective, one was about 5,000 square feet and one was about 2,800 square feet. And if you go into any one of our stores today, our golf department is about 5,000 square feet. So that was the size of the big store. How did you know what you were doing? I mean, you were a kid, right? You didn't. What? How did you know? Well, um, I didn't know. Um, but... I think part of it was I learned a lot about our business. And remember, this is two small little sporting goods stores. And I think I learned a lot through osmosis. I talk about in the book that our, uh, at our dinner table, we talked about two things. We talked about the store or how the Yankees were doing in the summer. <laughs> and we talked about the store or how the New York Giants were doing in the wintertime. So I, I kind of I had a sense of it, and I and I had spent a lot of time working there when I was uh, from when I was thirteen, and when I was fifteen, I worked full time all summer long and on mm. on uh, school vacations. Your relationship uh, with your dad was 
complicated, and I, I don't want to dig into it too far. Uh, honestly, for me, it was the most interesting part of the book. I, I'll tell you that. But and, and others can read it, and and I'm sure uh, you've thought about it a lot. But it did occur to me that you had bigger ambitions for Dick Sporting Goods than your dad did. Is that fair? Yeah, that would be right. That'd be correct. My dad, when he first started the business, had a few good years and then expanded the business and went out of business. Had a close-up shop, closed the stores, and and was out of business and basically broke. So once he got back into the business and did reasonably well, we never really had a terrific business. It was always, I would say, a season away from going out of business based on the fact that we were always in debt, had too much inventory, not Mm -hmm. enough inventory. And when I came back into the business and wanted to expand it, that scared the heck out of my father because that scar tissue he had from going out of business, he never, it never fully healed. And uh, we had some, uh, we had some pretty spirited conversations about what we would do with the business, you know. Spirit. I, I chuckle only because having read the book, I, I can only imagine what those uh, spirited conversations were like. Um, there, there, there was a certain amount of flying by the seat of your pants as you grew this business. And there's an anecdote you share at some point with you and, and one of your senior associates early-ish on talking about going around counting swing sets in neighborhoods to figure out where to put a store. Yeah, that was our, uh, that was our elementary real estate strategy. Yeah. So uh, we, <laughs> we, uh, we didn't have a research group. We were just a really small company. We only had two stores when we um, first moved out of Binghamton and went up to Syracuse. And trying to figure out where to go, we wanted to be where all the other retail is. And we would drive through the, the neighborhoods around the store and look at swing sets. And if there were a lot of swing sets, then we made the assumption there were a lot of kids there. There were a lot of kids there. They'd want to buy sporting goods, and if they wanted to buy sporting goods, we might be able to do okay. So, uh, our first five or six stores outside of Binghamton, our uh, we counted swing sets to determine where we wanted to put a store. Not very sophisticated. No, but look, it it worked out all right. I mean, you know, look at the look at the company today, right? Yeah, yeah, it 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 it, it did work out okay. But I can tell you, we've moved past the swing set yeah. strategy. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Um, you um, so it's a sporting goods store, uh, and and that metaphor comes up a lot in the book, just in terms of how you approach doing business. And in point of fact, you say at one point, retail is basically sport; it's a competition, and you got to beat the other guy. Definitely, it's a, our business, the retail business. It's a pretty competitive set out there. It's very dynamic; it's constantly changing. Retail is being disrupted right to its very core right now with what's yeah. going on with from uh, a, an e-commerce business, digitally native businesses uh, popping up. You know, it, it's a difficult business. But I think this is a great time to be in retail. Um, hmm. We find it really exciting. We find it very dynamic because what's going to happen is there's going to continue to be some big losers in retail. I think you're going to see some other big stores close, downsize, and when that happens, it also leaves an opportunity for some really big winners. And I think the, based on the way our management team has positioned this business and uh, our uh, strategies going forward, I'm pretty confident we're going to be one of the winners. You're still the chairman and the CEO of this company or, or are you, and have been for a while. Are you still waking up in the middle of the night like you used to, worrying about things? Um, I still wake up in the middle of the night thinking about things. Huh. I don't worry about them quite as much. I mean, we have a different financial structure. We've got a great balance sheet. Uh, 
our business is, is very profitable. And in those early days, I used to wake up worried about making payroll and, uh, and paying our bills and uh, are we going to be able to clean up our line of credit. I don't worry about those things anymore, but I do wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, okay, how are we going to compete against this, you know, this um, competitor, what we're going to do with our brands. Uh, there, there's still a lot of things to worry about. I'm, uh, I can be a bit of a worrier at times. <laughs> Um, I, I want to uh, make a reference now to the subtitle of this book. It is, as I said, it's called How We Play the Game. The subtitle is Build a Business, Take a Stand, and Make a Difference. And I want to talk about the taking a stand thing, and I want to talk about it in reference to guns and the decisions you have made to uh, suspend, withdraw, whatever your framing is, uh, firearms from most Dick's stores. Um, and it revolves around, obviously, there's a story about September 11th and Parkland. Why and how did you come to that decision? Well, as you read through the book, it wasn't a decision that was just made simply after Parkland. There was a series of episodes um, around firearms that dated back to, you know, our early days in, in one of the early stores in Rochester, uh, moved on to to 9-11 and then to Sandy Hook and culminated mm-hmm. in uh, Parkland. And we just felt that based on what's going on in the country today, primarily with the, the, the uh, assault-style rifles, that we needed to stand up and say something. And, and after Parkland, it had a uh, a really – I had a really emotional response to this. I mean, I watching those kids come out of school, um, crying, emotional. Some of them had just seen some of their friends killed. Listening to those parents talk about how how we failed our kids, and I thought somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to stand up and, and try to make a change. And as I continued to kind of play that over and over in my mind, I realized, you know what? We need to be one, the ones that are going to stand up and say something. We were one of the largest firearms dealers in the country. We knew the issues around firearms. And the shooter in Parkland, I found out that we sold him a shotgun a couple of months before the uh, before yeah. he, he committed the murders in, uh, in Parkland. And when that happened, I said, enough is enough. You know, we, the system is broken. And uh, at that point, we said – we need to stand up and say something. We've got an expertise here. We know what's going on, and we have to try to we have to try to solve this problem. It costs you money, though millions and millions of dollars. Actually, about a quarter of a billion dollars in sales, um, which we anticipated would be just about what it would cost us. And uh, we, as a management team, and as our board of directors had talked about that over roughly a two week period after the shooting to before we made our announcement and uh, made sure that we had a, a clear communication strategy put in place of what we wanted to do, what we were going to say, how we were going to say it, and what we were going to do after we said it. And uh, we were very thoughtful about it. And uh, you know, it, we, we talk about if we had the chance to do it all over again, mm-hmm. we'd do it all over again exactly the same way. Let me um, broaden that idea out a little bit. There's a there's a passage, I don't know, toward the end of this book that I'm just going to read and then I, I want to ask you about it. You say, every so often comes a moment when you have to stop thinking of your company solely as an engine for making money and broaden your view to consider its role in American life. Do you think, and, and I don't expect you to 
speak for all of corporate America, but you're one of the big guys. Do you think American companies think that way? I think they're beginning – I think there's more of them beginning to think that way. And you can see that with uh, um, some of the other companies that have stepped up and made some uh, some statements or mm-hmm. changes. And I think that – I've said this a number of times. Most people would agree that there's very little leadership coming out of Washington. And the country is thirsting for leadership from someplace. And right now, the majority of the leadership – seems to be coming out of the private sector. And I I think that I'm not sure that's the way it should be, but that's the way it is right now because of what's going on in Washington. And we were, we were very happy to stand up and, uh, and do our part and uh, give our point of view on the, uh, on the gun piece. And as I said, we do it all over again. Ed Stack is the chairman and CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods. His book, uh, it's a part memoir, part of how he runs the business. It's called How We Play the Game. Mr. Stack, thanks for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There you have it, my conversation with Ed Stack. If you are curious about the book, by the way, we've got an excerpt online at marketplace.org. Check it out. The Corner Office podcast is produced by Bridget Bodner. This episode with help from Sean McHenry. Nancy Pargali is the executive producer of Marketplace. Sitar Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Thanks for listening. Another episode for you in a couple of weeks.